Okay, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Dana Buckler Show, and I am pleased to welcome back my good friend, Adam Risky. How are you today? I'm good. How are you, Dana? Uh, well, I'm good. You know, I'm I'm in Florida, so people can read between the lines on that one. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> that's exactly. It's business as usual. Uh, oh, okay. But Disney World's open. That's, Yay. that's exactly it. 15,000 new cases today, but uh, they did open Animal Kingdom over the weekend. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so. Uh, no, but how, how are things up in uh, Illinois, in the Chicago, the greater Chicago area for you? So we entered phase four, which is basically everything is open with the um, stipulation that you have to wear masks and social distance and um, and everything like that. Uh, movie theaters opened for about two weeks and then most of them closed. Um, their reasoning was that nobody was going and that they can't continue to operate showing catalog titles. Um, so they have to wait until Hollywood really it releases movies, uh, new movies, in order for them to open back up again. Um, I think in Illinois, like the cases have gone up a little bit more, and that was expected with them opening up indoor seating for restaurants and some of the other things. Like you know, there's a local baseball team that has games with limited capacity, and they're inviting fans in and whatnot. So I don't know. I think it's going to scale back again because I'm hearing like the mayor of Chicago is saying that, you know, bars went from, they can only be open until midnight to now bars are possibly going to close and indoor dining is possibly going to be revoked for the time being until cases start going down. So uh, Illinois has sort of, at least in like the Chicago area and like the Chicago suburbs where I'm where I live, it's sort of, um, gotten to the COVID fatigue period, but it, we took it so seriously from the beginning though, that I think Illinois is going to be more open to, okay, we have to do our part and scale back again, rather than, you know, say Texas or, you know, in your case, Florida. (laughs) Mad Max Fury Road sequel is currently being filmed in this state. Uh, (laughs) It's, uh, (laughs) it's okay. No, it's all right. I, uh, I live in kind of a smaller town. Um, but even around here, we used to say that this area was kind of the numbers were never particularly high in this little bubble that I was living in. And that has completely been debunked as of just a few weeks now, the numbers have, I don't know, I, I, I can say tripled or quadrupled. I don't even know the verbiage once you get higher than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, but it's it's getting pretty, I don't know. It's, we have a governor that's just not going to shut the state down again, but he won't even do a mandatory, mandatory mask mandate. And so like, yeah, I went to the grocery store today and you can still, still would say 25% of the people there don't wear masks when they go out. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh and that's actually an improvement from where it was even a month ago. I would say it was 50-50, but I think as the numbers continue to rise here uh, uh, in record numbers, I might add, um, yeah, more and more people, I think, are just taking it upon themselves to to wear masks out in public. And they're just saying, forget the governor on, on, on a mask mandate, which yeah. I imagine will come before he would shut everything down again. However, I will say, you know, two weeks ago, he shut the bars down again. You know, if you, you know, in restaurants were okay, but if you had just a standalone bar or a nightclub, you had to go to a to-go only model, which... Mm-hmm. That's a thing now. I guess uh, you can just buy drinks ready to go at any bar now in Florida. And so, 
Good luck to you drivers. At my restaurant, which is still open, you know, we are limited to 50% capacity. We have to have tables spaced out, you know, six feet apart. Uh, We got a visit from the state inspectors a couple Fridays ago, you know, mm-hmm. guy like badge, gun, Bureau of Alcohol. It's not ATF. It's whatever the Florida equivalent is. I think it's alcohol bureau something. I'm not sure. But anyway, badge and gun uniformed officer came in with a clipboard and he's like, I just got to take a look at what you got going on in here. And, you know, all the employees are were wearing masks, but he came out with like a tape measure and everything. And mm-hmm. it was kind of scary, the power he had to just shut us down if he's so thought, yeah. you know, and what, you know, but we were, you know, he said, you know, you guys are doing everything you're supposed to do and you know best of luck to you you won't see me again but it's it's kind of crazy it's it's really kind of crazy here and uh i just expect any day now for them to shut the restaurants down again i I just i I see it happening it's so just damn frustrating because i read something today where one of the scientists was saying you know if people just uniformly wore the mask out for six weeks like that the virus would basically be squashed yeah And people just won't do it. And I mean, not to obviously get political, but it's a failure of like a consistent message from leadership. It's just everybody's kind of off doing their own thing. And until you kind of bring that message together and just say like, hey, this is like World War II. Do your part. (laughs) Keep calm and carry a mask. Yeah. And keep going and wear a mask. It's not difficult. Like, especially like on my social media, which again, I will say this again, if I didn't have to promote my show via social media, I would just shut it all down and just be be done with it. You know, I just, it it really gets to me the, well, I've I've actually taken to my friends list has, has kind of dwindled a little bit because I've just said, you know what? I don't even really know you. On, mm-hmm. on Facebook. I think we've met a couple times in person, but you're just not somebody I want to interact with. And even though I'm not posting anything, you're posting. So there is a bit of an interaction. That's just not something I want to be a part of. So, yeah. you know, I'm just, uh, it just gets very, very frustrating. Yeah. A couple of my friends, um, they declared their, you know, they dropped the mic on their social media. And I, I'm the same with you. Like if, it wasn't for F this movie, I would probably lose mine too. The thing that just gets to me so much is you got the idiots, which you always have, no matter what the platform, but then everybody because of social media has decided that they're a news outlet. (laughs) So it's not just like they hear the news and they consume the news. Now it's like you have to retweet everything and you have to be an op-ed columnist too and give your take so that all of your friends know where you stand and everything. And it's just exhausting after a while. Hot take Tuesday. <laughs> yeah. So, no, I, and I get it. I get it. I'm just like, uh, I don't, I just, uh, anyway. <laughs> we could, so let me tell you about something interesting that happened to me two weeks ago. Great. So okay. I was invited to attend a very small dinner party. And I want to make sure, emphasize very small, less than 10 people. In attendance was um, Tommy Lee, the uh, the drummer for Motley Crue, his wife, Brittany, uh, her friend, Michaela, and uh, Joey Fatone from NSYNC were, and then it was myself and my girlfriend and one other person just sitting at a table and uh, had dinner with them for four hours. And it was a pretty remarkably interesting experience that's awesome are you allowed to share any highlights from the dinner um i can share that tommy is 
it was the first time I've ever met him. And, you know, I think, I think we have, we're all guilty of kind of having preconceived notions of what you expect somebody will be like based We've on seen the dirt. Yeah. <laughs> so I, you know, I'll admit to having some type of preconceived notions of, of what it was going to be like to meet him. And yeah. I'm, I'm very, very happy to report that he is a phenomenally nice guy. Like, and, and it was just us and it's like a private area. There was no one else. We weren't in public. And so it was just everybody being themselves. And he was, he was humble. He was genuine. He was very curious about like him and I had a conversation about the last season of Ozark. He was just very, very down to earth and, and incredibly nice. And my, I guess my preconceived notions about him were completely wrong. You know, I, I didn't know what to expect. <laughs> you know, I just thought, you know, he's just this drunk. He's this, you know, this big rock star who's had this incredible life. And here I am mm-hmm. just discussing, you know, <laughs> what we think is going to happen in season four of Ozark. You know, it's just and you just, you realize, you know, when, pe- you know, outside of the limelight, like people are just people, you know. Yeah. Um, Joey. He probably, lo- he probably loved that just because yeah. I, I, I'm guessing it's harder for him than, you know, a person who's not in the public eye to have those regular conversations um, just kind of when they go out, they have people wanting to talk to them about their careers and not so much about, you know, just the things that they're into outside of their work. Well, it was interesting because he, he's a, he's a, he doesn't drink. He's, he's been sober for a while, um, but he does smoke, uh, smoke cigarettes. And so occasionally he would pop outside to, to go smoke a cigarette. And on one of those occasions, I decided just to join him. Because we were having conversation and he was like, I'm going to have a smoke. And I was like, oh, I'll come with you. And we're standing outside. And mind you, we're at a restaurant, but we're in a private area. But man, do people recognize him. As soon as we kind of walked through that restaurant, which wasn't particularly crowded, but Mm -hmm. we were outside and we were interrupted at least six times in 10 minutes. People coming outside, man, can I get a picture with you? Oh my God, I can't believe it's you. Like, so he yeah. he has that drawing power anywhere yeah. he goes. Like people know who you, and, and, and by the way, like he, he looked like Tommy Lee. He had a black headband on with his hair flowing out and, you know, tattoos all over the place. And, but he was just so down to earth. And whenever somebody would come out and ask him for a photo, he'd be like, absolutely, man, come on, let's do it. Yeah. So he mm-hmm. was, he was super, super cool. And his wife, Brittany, who I've listened to her podcast, she does a podcast called uh, The Worst Firsts, where she interviews uh, a lot of musicians and actors. Uh, A good one to listen to would be her interview with Eli Roth. It's really fun. She was hilarious. She was absolutely hilarious and 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 just a delight to talk to. Joey Fatone from NSYNC was super nice. And I had met him when I was out in L.A., so it was the second time that I had, I had met him. And he was, again, everybody just super down to earth. Just it was all in all, it was just a great time. That's awesome. So Yeah, I I there's something about catching people when they're eating that seems to like kind of be good for conversation. I uh I've had some really fun interactions at um this one horror convention I go to every year. It's canceled this year, obviously, because of the circumstances going on. But I had one day where it was before the convention started, I sat down. And I was eating breakfast at the hotel and sitting next to me was Dean Cundy, who's like the director of photography for Jurassic Park and like Escape from New York and like so many classic movies. And I'm just like, can I borrow your ketchup? (laughs) And then he's just like, what are you here? He's like, are you here for the convention? I'm like, yeah, I know who you are. It's okay. I won't say anything. (laughs) 
And then I, every time I've gone to a convention where Robert England is, for some reason, I'm in the same restaurant as he is at the same time. And there was one time where I leaned over to Patrick from F This Movie um, and I said, you know, it'd be really cool if we just said to the waitress, you know, that guy over there, his dinner's on us. And then I was thinking, I'm like, well, he's probably drinking a lot of wine and stuff, so it might be kind of expensive. But it's cool that we had the thought. <laughs> I, I rem- oh my god i remember you guys talking about that on one of the podcasts years ago yeah, yeah. oh that was hilarious oh it was yeah. it was cool yeah yeah no it's it's i just think it's really awesome to you know and you know i get you know obviously listeners know i got to spend some time with john travolta you know and he mm-hmm. was again super down to earth and i guess we'd be remiss if we didn't you know mention that you know today you know the news broke that you know his wife kelly passed away after a two-year battle from breast cancer and that was that's incredibly sad news and i was and and a lot of people reached out to me you know because they know that i've continued to chat with john and and you know i, I wouldn't say we're friends but we we keep in touch and mm-hmm. A lot of people ask me, like, did you know about that? And no, no one knew about that. Like, they really kept that super private. Yeah. Yeah, it's horrible news. And my my thoughts are with him and his family. Yeah. Um, obviously, like, you and I are, you know, enormous fans of his. And I was, you know, and, and also Kelly's work, too. So, um, it's, a, it's a really sad situation. So, you know. We're thinking of them. Absolutely. It's one of those situations where they live here in this town, you know, and so, of course, social media here locally has been just just plastered with pictures and it's been it's been really nice. You know, it's it's been nice to see everybody, you know, kind of share memories they've had with Mm -hmm. her and him and and they were staples. She was a big staple in this community and she was known to just go to, you know, Chili's with her son. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, and just, uh, you know, just have a drink and uh, get order the sun would order something off the kids menu and, you know, just completely unassuming. And I've met her a few times and she's been nothing but the kindest person and just delightful. And I've, I've said this many times before. Absolutely stunningly gorgeous. And mm-hmm. um, and uh, it's a real loss. And, yeah, we're definitely all thinking about him and his family right now. Yeah, definitely. So the last time we talked, I think it was I think it was back in April, I think. The last time you're on the show might have been March might have been March. Yeah. No, we, yeah. yeah, it was right around the time when the March movies were making like their VOD release dates. Yes. So Adam, I've been, you know, closely keeping up with, uh, you know, the movie tenant, especially and watching how it, it keeps getting pushed back and pushed back. And, you know, it's supposed to come out, I think, August 12th or 13th now. It was supposed to come out this week, mm-hmm. um, but that's not happening. And, you know, as it's no surprise to ever, anyone listening, like we're going backwards in most parts of the country right now. Like things are going in reverse. So I think we're going to be looking at VOD and premium VOD as the, you know, option of choice for watching new films. So having said that, when movie theaters were open, you were always my go-to for should I see it or should I not see it? Uh, mm-hmm. So we are just going to continue that with, uh, with the VOD and the streaming services. So what's nice about it is if it's one that you really recommend, as soon as we're done recording, I can watch it. I don't right. have to get into a car and go to a movie theater. So that's encouraging. So having said that, 
what are some movies that you've seen over the past few months since the last time we chatted? So there's quite a few and um, I've gone down some weird wormholes, which I'll get into also because I would be remiss of not mentioning all the hours I've spent watching fringe pop culture documentaries because I've found some real peculiar ones and some of them are quite good. So I uh, am excited to recommend those to you. Um, but when we were talking last, uh, you know, back in March, there were a couple that I hadn't seen yet that had just popped up on, on uh, premium VOD. Um, and one of them was the way back the uh, Ben Affleck basketball drama. Um, it's mostly about an alcoholic basketball coach um, and sort of like his redemption uh, trying to get back on his feet. And that movie is a classic case of it's like crazy heart with Jeff Bridges, where it's a movie built all around a really seismic performance by an actor that you're familiar with. And he, Ben Affleck in that movie is so terrific that I would recommend it just based off of that. Almost everything else plot wise is kind of, you know, ancillary but just for that performance i would say it's worth watching it's probably one of the best pieces of acting i've seen this year uh, i've actually seen the majority of that film i agree with what you said about affleck's performance and it's really good it's kind of a mix of between like kind of like leaving las vegas meets hoosiers and you know very something along the lines of that I stopped watching it when, uh, spoiler alert, the basketball team that he's coaching starts to turn it around a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I just said, okay, I know where this is going. I'm, I haven't seen the end of the film, but I, I just feel like it's like they're going to win the big game and maybe they don't, but they're going to learn a lesson. And I don't, it sure. just, it just seemed like it was a very, it became very formulaic. Although the first half of the film, I was really on board with it, but then it just turned in, to me, it just turned into this very formulaic, as you said, sort of redemption story. So I didn't actually finish the film. I could see that. Yeah. Um, were, I was wondering if you only watched a certain amount of it because it was on Quibi or something. <laughs> Are we going to go down the Quibi road right now or should we wait for... <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen anything on Quibi, so if you want to veer off to that exit, it's all you, man. I watched the first two episodes of The Most Dangerous Game, you know, I like to say, and it took up 16 minutes of my time, so... <laughs> Still waiting for Die Hard to come out. Uh, the uh, Kevin Hart, John Travolta one, and that that'll be my make or break on whether I decide to keep my my membership to Quibi because so far I'm I'm just not I'm not getting into it as much as yeah. I thought it would. And and this is with a three month free trial, so it's not like I'm I'm like well I'm paying for this I better get my money's worth you know I'm just like well okay. And but you're watching that on your phone, right? It's the only way you can watch it. You, oh, you can't even Apple TV it to your. <laughs> All right, I gotta. You have Quibi issues. You're like your ninety nine problems, but Quibi is one <laughs> is yours. Um, mine is HBO Max, and can I can I vent about HBO Max for a second? Okay, just okay. just so we're on the same page. I also have HBO Max, so I'm not going to tell you my issues with it. I want to hear yours first. I have Roku. 
I can't get it on Roku. Oh. It won't. It's not available. HBO Go and HBO Now are on Roku, but HBO Max is not on Roku. So when I signed up for HBO Max pre-launch, they didn't say anything about this, but they said you can have access to HBO uh, Now. Yeah, it's Go Now Max. They said you could have access to HBO Now right away. And then when HBO Max goes live, you have access to that too. So I thought, great, I'll add it. I'll, I'll watch HBO now until HBO Max shows up. Can't watch HBO Max on Roku. So I'm watching HBO now, which is like two thirds of what Max has. So when I see something premieres on HBO Max, I have to cross my fingers that it's on HBO now. <laughs> so sometimes I get lucky and sometimes I don't. Things like the whole Criterion collection that they have or movies like Scoob, which for whatever reason I watched on my laptop, <laughs> I have to watch these on my laptop and I hate watching movies like that. And there's like an upcoming Seth Rogen movie that looks funny and I'm going to have to watch that on my laptop. But it's so weird that HBO didn't get an association with Roku and then also with Amazon Fire Stick for people to be able to watch it on their televisions. That makes no sense to me whatsoever. It's not yeah. like HBO is just this fledgling startup. You know, no. like, like I And they have like two other HBOs on there already. So yeah. why is Max different? I was I was gonna complain about the interface on my Xbox, but never mind. You've got bigger <laughs> problems. Yeah, I don't have a, a video game console where I could play it on there. But uh, tell me about the interface. It's just there's a lot of there's just a lot of lag when you're scrolling through the titles. <laughs> yeah, and when I signed up for it, you know, uh, I think there was a seven day free trial. But I was like, I'm this is this is this is for me. I can I can handle the fifteen dollar a month price tag on this one. And I was really excited that they had all the old all the old Batman films. You know, the the, the Keaton ones. And uh, I think two weeks into it, they took those all away it's like they had a bunch of titles that were there yeah. for like the launch for like the seven day free trial and then like two weeks in i'm like you know what i haven't watched batman returns in 25 years tonight's the night and i log in i'm like where'd batman returns go <laughs> like what, what's going they're on so weird they're so weird because they kind of built it up like we have the entire warner brothers library and it's like oh that's exciting because they also have new line and all this stuff and then yeah they just like haphazardly take things away and it's like just do the disney plus thing guys just premiere it and then it stays there yeah. like you own it again like, again i stress not a startup company could probably afford the servers to be able to store these movies on there and you know like i was i've been going through the lord of the rings films and thankfully they haven't taken those off but they took the hobbit films off well that's no big loss yeah that's but uh yeah i was <sighs> It's no rhyme or reason. At least they have a tab that says leaving soon. So yeah. at least they at least they tell you that it's not a surprise. It's like, hey, these and then they have the tab that's coming soon. And I'm just like, yeah. uh. <laughs> so um I uh yeah, I've watched one and a half movies on there. I finally was like, I'm gonna sit down and watch the four hundred blows, the Truffaut movie. So I sat and I watched it's a hundred minutes. I've watched 60 minutes of it, and then I was like, I'm bored. I'm going to watch Scoob. <laughs> and I watched all of Scoob, but it took me five days, and I was starting to watch it in about 30-second chunks. 
where I was like, that's enough of this. <laughs> but I need it. I need to see it because it's a 2020 movie and those things are so rare. It's like these new releases are so rare that I have to find myself watching Scoob in 20 second intervals. <laughs> You've adopted the Quibi model without having Quibi. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I love it. Can I give you an example of a joke in Scoob just to show how dead children's entertainment is right now? Please. So Shaggy is in like an amusement park with this guy named like the Falcon something or other, which I guess was a character on Scooby-Doo. But um, he he's so Shaggy goes, I want to drop some F-bombs. And then the Falcon goes, whoa, 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 we're a G rated movie. And then he goes, no, I mean, Falcon bombs. And he's like, oh, OK. And then he drops the Falcon bombs. Why doesn't he just go, I want to drop Falcon bombs and then we can move on and we don't need this like self-referential like that's a joke for the parents. Nudge, nudge, <laughs> wink, wink. <laughs> Fucking scoob. Oh, so would you. uh OK, so just going just going back to the way back. So that's a recommend yeah. just based on Affleck's performance. For it, me, it was. Yeah. Is scoob a recommend? No. <laughs> The only thing that's interesting about well, Scoob is pleasantly animated. It's nice to look at. I'll put it that way. But then also, the only thing that's interesting is they don't say what who the cast of voice actors are at the beginning. So throughout the movie, I was just like, I bet you that's James Marsden, and then it was like Mark Wahlberg. So that was the game that I was playing with too. Okay. <laughs> so what do you have next on the list? Um, so sticking with animation, I did see Onward when it premiered on uh, Disney Plus. It was a PVOD for a few weeks and then it went on Disney Plus. And I wasn't expecting much because I thought that it was sort of one of the kind of also ran Pixar titles. That's kept what I kept hearing. And I thought it was like surprisingly sweet. And it was a, kind of a road trip movie, which I didn't know that it was. And it's one of my favorite movies of the year so far. I think it's just, it was just completely innocuous and unassuming and a surprise. And I enjoyed it. What are your thoughts on Disney Plus as a streaming service? I like it. Um, I think the interface is really clean and easy to use. I love that they break it off where you could go Disney through the decades and they list everything by decade. Um, and I think they're... Their level of original programming is kind of lacking. I mean, like every once in a while you'll get, they'll drop like Hamilton or something, but there's not a lot of shows that I want to watch on there, so to speak. But um, I'm of the streaming services. I like it a lot more than, you know, Apple TV plus or HBO max at this point. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, uh, all right. So onwards a recommend. Yeah, I liked Onward. Perfect, perfect. All right, what do you have next? Um, okay, so I watched uh, another movie that was kind of, I, other than The Way Back, I hadn't dropped 20 bucks on any of these PVOD movies, except one other one, and that was the new Judd Apatow movie, because I've seen all of his other ones, why stop now? <laughs> so I watched The King of Staten Island, And I thought that it was like, it got a quarantine boost. Meaning if I saw that in theaters, I'd be like, oh, Judd Apatow back on his bullshit. And I would have just said like, this movie stinks. I don't really, I'm so tired of his 
you know, two hour, 18 minute comedies and whatnot. But then when you're just like dying for new movies and it's just there and it's two hours and 20 minutes and that's an entire evening of entertainment, it was like, oh, this is perfectly nice and pleasant and, you know, just funny enough and just interesting enough and the acting's good. So I think just under the circumstances of watching it in quarantine helped the King of Staten Island. Um, there's some good supporting performances by Bill Burr and Bell Powley. And, you know, Judd Apatow, he is what he is. And, um, you know, some of it I like, but, you know, he definitely has these, he's makes really messy movies with like these weird tangents that go nowhere where he could easily cut them. But that is what makes a Judd Apatow movie, a Judd Apatow movie. So, you know, he's a, a director. I'm always going to be interested to see what he's doing. Okay. Let me ask you this. The King of Staten Island versus this is 40. It's better than this is 40. Okay. Versus train wrecked. I think I like train wreck better. Okay. And then one movie that I actually have found a new appreciation for the King of Staten Island versus funny people. Uh, funny people is more ambitious King of Staten Island kind of feels like he's going back to the well and playing like his greatest hits. Okay. So I guess I'll give the edge to funny people. Okay. Which was a movie that was a movie I saw in the theater at the time. And again, just to emphasize like Adam, Adam's not kidding when he says every Apatow film comes in at like two hours and 20 minutes on average. Like they're all 30 minutes longer than they need to be in every case, in every case. But that was a movie I thought the first time I saw it, I, I, I didn't, I was into it for like the first hour and then it kind of fell off a cliff for me, but I rewatched it. I think it was on the stars app and I rewatched it about three weeks ago and was really into it. Yeah. It's, it's pretty good. It's got a lot of interesting stuff to say about stand-up comedy for sure. Which has become way more prevalent since I've become, uh, you know, an avid podcast consumer. Mm. And a lot of the podcasts I listen to are by stand-ups. And I've gotten to know a lot of these stand-ups. So I just think it's, yeah, I think it was really interesting. I think the only one that didn't pull off stand-off well in that movie was Seth Rogen. I thought everybody else did a good stand-up routine. Yeah, and I don't know. Do you, do you think, like, that was by design, that his character just was kind of a, a weaker stand-up? Or do you think that it was just that, you know, Seth Rogen is a funny comedic actor, but that doesn't always translate to being, like, a funny stand-up comic that's an interesting question because yeah because his his stand-up cadence was different than the delivery you see him give in most other apatow films that he's starring in so yeah that might have been a deliberate choice have you seen the preview for his hbo max movie an american pickle no no i haven't even heard of it it's i don't know who's directing it but it's um seth rogan is like playing uh, an older, it's like a 1920s, 1930s era um, Jewish man. And then he falls in like a vat of pickle juice and his body is preserved until 2020. And then he like resurrects and is now searching for his family. And he finds like a 2020 version of Seth Rogen and it's just two Seth Rogans like sticking it up and it looks kind of good. And it's 
it's a movie or a TV series? It's a movie, and it's on HBO Max starting in August, like oh. early August. Okay, um, I'm all over it. I'll, I'll, I'm going to watch the trailer when we're done recording, just so I can visual get a visualization of what you're talking about. Yeah, it's a cute trailer. It looks funny. I'm 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 looking forward to it. Absolutely. I'm now. One thing that's kind of exciting, I guess, about not knowing when movies are coming out anymore is that it feels like there's it's not like, oh, the next Marvel movie and there's like a year's worth of trailers in anticipation for it. Now it's just kind of like they made a movie where Seth Rogen is like playing off of Seth Rogen and it comes out next month. Sure. (laughs) I'm, I'm, I'm excited. And that's what I like is, and that's one thing I give Netflix credit for because they'll drop a trailer for something and I'll be like, Oh, that looks really interesting. When's that coming out next week? Oh, okay. Great. Yeah. Yeah. What, what do you have next? Um, okay. So I watched, uh, well, I guess we could talk about Hamilton cause that was, that was kind of a big deal for, you know, the 4th of July weekend. Um, I had never seen the stage production of it. Um, obviously, I'd heard phrases from it from everybody who has seen it, whether it be in New York or Chicago. And um, I was I, it was funny because I watched like 15 minutes of it right before I went to bed one night. And I was like, I just want to get an idea of what this is like, because I was aware that it was a musical, but it was all rap. And um, I just was like, I don't know. You know, I want to be able to just kind of get into it right from the beginning. And I'm glad that I did that because then the next day I watched the entire thing and it's really good. Like I complete, I don't have anything new or, you know, really insightful to say, but it's one of those rare productions where I'm sitting there watching it and I'm like, how did they do this? Like, how did they write this? How did they know, like, what to perform every night because it's so intricate and it's so detailed and dense and it's a long show it's like two hours and 40 minutes um and the music's great and that's the key thing with any musical you could forgive almost anything if the music's good and it's uh the story and the music are are equal to each other so i watched it for the first time like you did uh and it was one of those interesting things like i like to sit outside with my coffee every morning Mm -hmm. it's kind of like a a little ritual of mine that i've been doing for oh 10 12 years now and I watch a lot of stuff on my phone and I was just like, uh, I was on Twitter and it was like, it's Hamilton day. Hamilton's on Disney plus. And so I was like, Oh, let me just open up the Disney plus app on my phone. And I started in like five minutes into it. I'm like, this is so wrong. I, I, this is, this is so wrong. I am, yeah. I'm not doing this justice by watching this on my iPhone 11. This is no. So I, I, I stopped and I went up, I went into my living room and fired up the, the, you know, the big, the big screen and, you know, the surround sound and then watched it. I watched about an hour of it before I had to go to work. And then I was anxious, anxious to get home and from work and, uh, and finish it. And just like you, I really, really enjoyed it. And, um, yeah. I'm, I'm kind of glad that I watched it in two parts because I think that two hour and 40 minute runtime would have, would have wore on me a little bit and I, i'm glad i took a break in between and of course like they would there would in in real life there would have been an, an intermission if you saw that in uh you know on stage yeah yeah and here it's one minute and i i remember being fascinated i'm just like is the hourglass really gonna go and i watched it and i'm like it really did last a minute <laughs> um 
Yeah, no, it's funny. I had this weird thing when I watched Hamilton where I I took like a second and was just thankful for VOD because I think with these weird like choices that studios are making of what to put on there and especially with a lot of like indie titles, some of them, you know, that premiered at Sundance or, you know, festivals that like didn't happen like South by Southwest or whatever and now are showing up on VOD. It's like, thank you for entertaining me and keeping me safe. Like you're not forcing me to like either miss out or have to go to a theater where it's not safe. Like, thank you for, you know, bringing it into my home and allowing me to just have an evening's worth of entertainment when everything else, you know, whether it be like work or other daily routines has just become so structured to the point of monotony. And it's like, you look forward to having those nights. And I remember you said that like on a previous podcast where it's like, you plan a a night out of it. You're just like, okay, I'm saving the old guard for this night and I'm going to watch it. And it's, it's really nice that, that they're doing that now. (laughs) No, no. And I completely agree. And I'm still, I'm still doing my, my movie nights twice a week. You know, yeah. and, I, and I, and I make it a point no matter what, just to, to see something I haven't seen before. And I'll, uh, I'll take this moment just to interject one film that I just recently watched, I actually put on Twitter that I would, that, uh, speaking of HBO max, they, uh, released, uh, Dr. Sleep on HBO max. And one of the extras was the director's cut. And I was like, oh, well, mm-hmm. that's a hell of an extra to throw in there. And, um, so I put on Twitter, do I, having not seen this, do I watch the theatrical cut or should I just watch the director's cut? And I think the responses tended to skew towards the director's cut. Mm-hmm. So that was my first viewing of it. And I would, I subsequently went online to try to sort of research what the differences were between the director's cut and the regular cut. And I'm glad I watched the director's cut. And for a film that comes in at three hours, uh, I thought it moved along really well. And I was never bored, not not once during that viewing of that film. I had a great time with the film and I didn't know what to expect. I watched The Shining earlier in the day. I'm glad I did. It's been a little while since I'd seen that film. And Mm -hmm. I was... uh, I was, I won't say I was pleasantly surprised because I've heard very good things about Dr. Sleep and I'm just curious why it took me so long to see it. And I, I really enjoyed the film. So, I'll, uh, you've seen Dr. Sleep. Have you seen the director's cut? No, I've been saving that for October. Um, but I have, I've only saw, I only saw the theatrical cut, uh, opening night. I was lucky to catch it on IMAX and, the Overlook Hotel in IMAX is stunning, and it was a great theatrical experience. I keep hearing how much better even the director's cut is, so I'm really looking forward to kind of just saving that for you know the Halloween season. Um, the thing that I'm worried about is I love the theatrical cut so much that that's the version in my head that I think that I want, but I've heard so many people who are fans of the theatrical cut say like, no, you really need to see the director's cut. So I'll give it a shot without spoiling it. From what I understand, from what I've read about the theatrical cut versus the director's cut, having only seen the director's cut is a lot of what's put back into the movie is just sort of expansions or expanded scenes that have already, that are already happening. It's just, they go on a little bit longer and they're a little more nuanced and you get to know 
a few more of the characters a little bit more in depth. But from what I understand, there's no nothing in the plot that changes. Like there's not a, a something in the director's cut that makes you completely look at the movie differently. Yeah. Like, like with like um you know the Batman v Superman Ultimate cut that they also have available on HBO Max, which I watched, and the movie made a hell of a lot more sense. So anyway. Did you hear the rumor that there's a 170-minute cut of Batman Forever that exists? <laughs> I cannot wait to see that. That is something they should put on HBO Max. Well, I've heard that it's a super – like, it's a it's a far more darker film, yeah. this, this one. And that makes sense from the guy that directed Flatliners. You know, like, <clears throat> Joel Schumacher, he, he can – and Lost Boys. I mean, yeah. so – I would and be inclined to watch that film. Oh, boy. I saw that. I, I saw Batman Forever in the theater in Times Square in 1995. Yeah, you and I are, are on the opposite ends of the spectrum of this one because I love that movie. It might be my favorite Batman movie. <laughs> um, I recognize it's not the quote unquote best, but if you're asking me which one do I put on just for fun one night, I would watch Batman Forever. And if it's 50 minutes longer by if I'm, if I'm guessing that means that there's gotta be at least 10 more minutes of Dr. Chase Meridian. And that's a good thing. <laughs> oh goodness. I got into a debate last night. Uh, my girlfriend and I were having dinner with uh, another couple at their house and just randomly talking about movies. And then one of them said, well, Ben Affleck's the best Batman. And I, did a spit take with my blue <laughs> with my blue moon and i just what <laughs> so, so that begs the question is val kilmer your favorite batman no i mean come on <laughs> i i still think it's probably michael keaton yeah. although i still have like there's no one batman that i think is perfect like michael keaton is he's my favorite, but I also think that he's weirdly underused in those movies. Like they don't get the full Keaton and they should, they should get more Keaton in there. Val Kilmer is just like looking pretty in a suit and he's got like, he looks probably the best in like the mask. George Clooney. I don't, I don't, he's just not good. <laughs> good actor. He's just not good in that movie. Christian Bale is good as Bruce Wayne, but like his take on Batman with the growly voice is a little silly to me. And Ben Affleck is the CrossFit Batman where it just looks uncomfortable. <laughs> you mentioned uh, Michael Keaton and the scene where he tells Jack Napier, you want to get another the Joker, you want to get nuts. Let's get nuts. That's Michael yeah. Keaton. We need more of that. It comes out of nowhere in Batman because, like, he's never like that ever. No. I, and I understand that he's instigating something so that he can, you know, keep Vicky safe. But at the same time, it's like this seems like out of a different movie. Uh, and yeah, but that's I would have liked to see more of that. So that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was perfect. Yeah. Um, boy, we went down a rabbit hole there. Uh, let's yeah. see. <laughs> so so, are, so are there any that you were curious about that you haven't watched that you want to know about? That? Well, no. Well, I was just going to say I'm, I'm, I'm still throwing the recommendation for for Dr. Sleep out there. Uh, and yeah. no, I mean, just please. What else? What else is on your list? All right. So I'm going to lump all these together. This is my documentary section. And I'll name what the documentary is about. And then if it sounds interesting, 
then stop me and I'll okay. tell you about it. Okay. Okay. A comic book store, a video game store, Stefan Marbury, <laughs> minor league baseball, um, the film critic Pauline Kale. Okay. Uh, well, let me let me stop you there on two of them. Uh, they, okay. they all sound interesting, but the minor league baseball one, I'm a huge baseball fan, so I'd love to know a little bit more on that one. And then, of course, okay. the documentary on Pauline Kale. I'd be very curious about that one as well. Okay. So, I never like to trash movies that look like they cost $1.50, <laughs> but the minor league baseball one was the worst documentary that i've seen all year it's um it's called 50 summers i apologize to the filmmakers <laughs> i hope you're not listening to this it's um about the minor league affiliate for the kansas city royals and it's basically just sort of a promotional video um but it was released as like a documentary and the story isn't really compelling it's pretty much just about how important minor league baseball teams are to their communities. And I just, it, it just doesn't really have compelling characters. Not that real people are characters, but like the people telling the story aren't inherently interesting and it kind of just is a bit of a slog. So if you're looking for a minor league baseball documentary, I would recommend one from a few years ago um, that's better. It's called The Battered Bastards of Baseball. It's on Netflix. And that's about um, a team in Portland that was an independently run baseball team owned by Bing Russell, who's Kurt Russell's dad. And Kurt Russell actually played for that team for a season. So um, he's heavily involved in it. So Kurt Russell's telling that story in a lot of ways. And I would recommend that one. It's on Netflix. There's a documentary that came out, I want to say, in 2009 called A Player to be Named Later, which is a baseball documentary that follows the AAA minor league team for the Milwaukee Brewers. And it just it's really just it focuses on. Uh, a few players that have been in the minors for years and a couple of them are like this is my last year and a couple of them get called up for a couple games and I don't want to say anything more than that but it's a really interesting and it's it's a pretty you know honest look at the minor league baseball system um, the battered bastards of baseball is phenomenal I, I've yeah. seen that and it, it's absolutely phenomenal so what about the Pauline Kale documentary so the Pauline Kale documentary, it's called um, What She Said, The Art of Pauline Kale. It's fairly new to VOD. Um, it is sort of like the Roger Ebert documentary, Life Itself. Um, it's not as good, um, but it gives you an idea of who Pauline Kale was and sort of her point of view and what her her role in film criticism and the evolution of film criticism was. Um, she was very much a quintessential, you know, New York critic, um, for better or worse, where her word had a lot of sway. She was very dismissive of certain things, but she was a big cheerleader of certain filmmakers too, and helped make their careers. So, um, I personally don't respond to the elitist form of film criticism, which I would argue Pauline Kael was mostly about. There's a scene in the movie where David Lean, the director of Lawrence of Arabia, is giving like a anecdote about kind of this Miss, Mrs. Parker and the vicious circle dinner he had with her and like these other New York film critics. And they like just tore him to shreds and shook his confidence. 
And that got me mad because I would rather have, you know, two more David Lean movies that he didn't have the confidence to make rather than, you know, critics who aren't filmmakers taking pot shots and like shaking the confidence of those that can do. I think film critics have a valuable place, but sometimes, and this is just my opinion, sometimes film critics abuse that power and become a little bit egotistical and kind of take their eyes off of the ball, which is they're supposed to be there to not dissuade people from watching movies, but persuade people to watch certain movies and encourage art, not just shit on things. And Pauline Kael, I think, was on that line a lot. Um, so I think the documentary is good at representing that, even if she's not my quote unquote kind of critic. When did she pass away? Uh, I don't know exactly. I like, uh, not, I don't know, maybe like the early nineties. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just, I am, I am familiar with her. I'm just not familiar with her work as much as say, uh, I am like a Roger Ebert or, uh, you know, a, a Gene Shallot or something like that. Um, it's interesting in the documentary because they do go into like the tribalism aspects of certain film critics where it was like her versus Andrew Saris. And then they would have like, I forgot what she named them, but like she would have like these acolytes like that would just follow her and she would reach out to them and be like, we need to get behind this movie. So like you need to recommend it. And then if you didn't, then like you were sort of cast off as one of her kind of minions and that was something that a lot of critics didn't want to they didn't want to upset her so it's interesting like from kind of the social dynamic of seeing what film critics groups were like at the time hmm. i might watch that tonight that sounds yeah. that sounds interesting um, yeah it's an interesting movie she passed away in 2001 okay all right all right well let's do one more one more recommendation okay oh geez I've got a bunch. All right, let's Here, do, okay, okay, let's do a rapid fire recommendation okay. and then we go into detail about one more. Okay. Um, rapid fire recommendations. Um, there is a documentary about Stefan Marbury called A Kid from Coney Island. That's really good. It's on Netflix now. Um, I saw a indie movie from early this year called The Assistant, which is vaguely about an assistant working in a Harvey Weinstein-like office, which is really good. Um, the trip to Greece is funny. If you like the movies from the trip series, this one's no different. Um, the five bloods, which is Spike Lee's new movie is really good. It's kind of messy, but a lot of his movies are that way. And it's really powerful when it works and Delroy Lindo is terrific in it. Eurovision song contest is pretty funny. Uh, Beastie Boys story on Apple TV Plus was a surprisingly good performance documentary, and I saw a uh, I saw um, a documentary called Jasper Mall about a dying shopping mall in Alabama, and it's fascinating. It's on Amazon. You can rent it for like two bucks. It's really good. Um, and then Friedkin Uncut is a documentary about the work of William Friedkin. It's kind of told in the style of De Palma, where it's a director going through his most of his filmography. It's really good. And William Friedkin's just such a weird yeah. Uh, yeah. personality that it makes it really entertaining. And then the last two I'll talk about, they're more in detail. 
are um, I just watched Greyhound, which is Tom Hanks's new movie um, on Apple TV Plus. Uh, I liked it. It was surprisingly good because, like, once I saw that Sony sold it to Apple TV Plus, I was like, oh, this has to be like kind of a turkey. Like, I was thinking it was going to be like the Cloverfield paradox, but it's not. It's like this really straightforward 90 minute action movie, um, very suspenseful. It's uh, not the movie that you would think Tom Hanks would be in, um, but he's good and uh, he wrote it too. So I would recommend that. But the one that I saw recently that I'm really kind of excited about is a movie called Palm Springs, which is on Hulu. Um, it's Andy Samberg and Kristen Miliati, I think is the pronunciation. And it's this Groundhog Day-like time loop uh, romantic comedy. And it's really sweet and funny and inventive. And um, it's the type of little surprise that uh, you would see at like a film festival and then it would you know, play in indie theaters for a few weeks. Um, and it would be on like a lot of critics lists. So I, I would recommend that one too. And that's on Hulu. That is on Hulu. Yes. Oh, okay. Awesome. Well, excellent. Yeah. Excellent. So, uh, like I always like to ask you before we wrap these up, uh, and this is kind of a tricky question I know, but, um, if you, what, what's on your horizon that you're looking forward to checking out? Um, let me see. I, okay. So I still need to watch The Old Guard, that movie on Netflix with Charlize Theron. Um, there's a couple horror movies that I want to watch called Relic and The Rental. Relic is sort of like a allegory for dementia, um, as told in a, the form of a horror movie that premiered on VOD last weekend. Um, I want to see, uh, what should we call it? The... Um, this is just showing how I have stupid taste sometimes, but I saw a trailer for what looks like the most generic, like domestic thriller and it's called fatal affair. And it's with Neil Long and Omar Epps. And I'm like, I'm there and that's going to be on Netflix on Thursday. Um, and yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. I've heard like first cow is good, which is a indie movie directed by Kelly Reichert who did Meeks Cutoff. There's a David Ayer movie coming out called The Tax Collector with Shia LaBeouf that looks super sleazy, and I'm kind of interested in it. Um, and then the last one is there's a movie called The One and Only Ivan, which is going to be on Disney Plus um, in August, and it looks like a cute family movie with Brian Cranston in it. The Tax Collector with Shia LaBeouf looks yeah. out of control. And just yeah. knowing the pedigree of... Of who's behind that film? I'm gonna see that, and apparently, he, that tat that he's got this big giant, you know, full frontal tattoo, which is real. <laughs> that the, the, he got this big giant tattoo for the movie. And oh, <laughs> so so I invite you to Google that and just take a look and know that that's a that's a permanent addition to him. That's cool. I've turned the corner on him. Like after last year with Honey Boy and the Peanut Butter Falcon, I'm just like, oh, now I get like where all of this is coming from. And it helped me have the context that I needed to like really kind of enjoy his work. So I'm looking forward to it. I've always liked Shia LaBeouf. Like I, I just liked his personality. Like he, he to me, he was the best part of the, the, the first three Transformer films. You know, I just, I mean, I know that might be crazy for people to hear me say that, but I've just always kind of liked him. So this is, this is going to be an interesting role. I haven't seen the peanut butter Falcon. Is that worth checking out? 
Yeah, it's a movie that in the first like two acts, I was like, wow, this is like maybe like runner up of a top 10 list type of quality. And then it kind of loses its way a little bit towards the end. But um, it's for him and Dakota Johnson. And then I forgot what the other actor's name is, the other lead actor who's also pretty good. Um, It's a really well acted movie. Put that on the list for sure. So, Adam, if people want to follow you and follow your work, how can they do that? Uh, so, I write and do podcasts uh, at F This Movie, which is F This Movie with the letter F, this movie.com. Um, so, you can find my work and a lot of other people's great work there. Um, and I'm on Twitter at Risky Adam. And every once in a while, I'll do shows like Dana's show um, and everything that I write and uh, shows that I'm on, I retweet on that on that uh, Twitter handle. So if you're looking for my work, you can find it all in one spot right on Twitter. Okay, awesome. Uh, well, listen, Adam, it's uh, I'm glad you're doing okay. I'm glad things are, I guess things are about the same since the last time we talked, but I'm glad you're doing okay. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I'm glad that everybody, uh, you know, in the F This Movie community is doing okay. And, and uh, I just want to uh, you know, reiterate and emphasize that 6 a.m. my time every Wednesday is uh, is a big day for me because that's when the latest episode of F This Movie becomes available. And I always get uh, super excited when I see you're on a- an episode. And uh, have you got anything recent you've done with Patrick? Um, so we have a weekly column together right now um, that we're writing about we we felt like we were missing out on like a summer movie season so we decided just to retrace the summer 92 season because the dates went along with it uh, with 2020 and it's been weird that's a weird summer movie season because it's basically like Batman Returns is the tentpole and then everything else is just like a free-for-all which has been hit and miss. Like this week, we're talking about Honey, I Blew Up the Kid, and it feels like a real errand. But um, uh, yeah, and then I was last on the podcast covering the movie Surviving the Game, and then I'll be on it in, not this week, but the week after, and we're going to talk about Congo. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> I can't so, wait. <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh, a movie that's uh, got, I have a lot of history with, so I'm ready for my master's thesis on Congo. I'm just going to take you through, uh, if I remember correctly, Congo was what, 95? Yes. Okay, so I, and I'll be the first to admit, like when Jurassic Park came out in 93, I didn't know who Michael Crichton was. I was, I don't know. 15, 14 years old when that movie came out. Like I wasn't an avid reader. I wasn't familiar with it. Uh, but obviously, I loved Jurassic Park. And Congo was based off a book by Michael Crichton. Am I correct? Yeah, that's correct. Okay. So having said that, I remember, this is just me now, everyone. I just want to say, I remember when the, when the trailer started to drop for Congo and I was like, ah, another Michael Crichton story. And of course I've got, you know, visions of Steven Spielberg directing in my head. And I'm thinking this is going to be the greatest thing ever. And I just like 10 minutes into it. I think it was the very first time I audibly said, what the fuck am I watching? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's um, it almost feels like a punk rock version of Jurassic park where you're just like, I thought this was going to be a real movie, but this is, this is like community theater. <laughs> <laughs> like Tim Curry's per- performance. And, and I just remember the, you know, the guy going, stop eating my sesame cake. And I go like, what? Yeah. And, 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 and Amy, and I'm just like, <laughs> 
That movie gives zero fucks, it's, and I kind of appreciate it. I am 100% going to rewatch that film before I listen to that episode. I, I it's, been, it's been 25 years since I've seen that film, and I can't wait to watch it now. That's going to be awesome. I'd be curious to see to hear what you think of it now because yeah I think everybody went into that movie in 95 with a certain Jurassic Park expectation and then they got something very different and it was just like are you good with the different and a lot of people weren't <laughs> 95 was a strange year for movies like that cuz I remember watching the trailers for Judge Dredd and mm-hmm. and saying to myself, well, this is going to be the greatest film of all time. And because that <laughs> yeah. is one of the greatest trailers that's ever been cut. It's Period. a good trailer. A, yeah. yeah, good, good trailer. And I remember watching that movie and again going, what the fuck am I watching? And <laughs> and thankfully, listeners, in 2012, they came out with a Dread movie, which is phenomenal and very underrated. And everybody should see it. I like the Stallone one better. <laughs> I'm sorry. Didn't, I just didn't do. they have like, wasn't like, like, oh, I can't. I got to watch that movie again sometime. I do. It's been too, it's been too long. I can't comment on, on the 95 Judge Dredd. Just yeah, I know. I know I was going to like the 95 Judge Dredd when he talks to his gun and it's like voice commanded and he goes double whammy. The <laughs> gun goes double whammy. <laughs> you know what? Honestly, my my tastes have changed quite a bit, and I'm I'm yeah. way more sympathetic to movies that were were made in the 80s and 90s, like way more. Uh, yeah. I think I'm going to give this one a rewatch. I might have to do a whole episode with you. It's like, hey, I'm revisiting movies from the 90s that I only saw once in the theater that I didn't like, and it's time to to get reevaluate them. And that would be fun. I mean, like I I I didn't mention this earlier, but like I'll just name off three movies that I saw that were horrible in the past few months. Like Extraction, Capone, Artemis Fowl. I'll take Judge Dredd over those any day. <laughs> uh, Extraction, I was curious about because they all they were hyping like, you know, like the 12 minute long single take sequence. Yeah. yeah. And, and I thought that was really uh, obviously well done. Clearly mm-hmm. not done in one take, but really well done. And I thought that was really cool. But I could not get into that film. And and you know what? Uh, I don't like to be harsh on movies, but I it, it was real struggle for me to keep my interest in the film. Yeah. I do remember the end credits being like 20 minutes long, and I'm not exaggerating. Because <laughs> I saw the runtime, and then like it was say, like two hours or something. And then at like an hour 40, I'm like, there's the first end credit. Oh, my God. Is it going to be 20 minutes of end credits? And I was very. It's so funny you say that because I did a uh, I did a screening of Jaws a couple weeks ago and I was actually playing the movie off of my phone. It was uh, an HDMI uh, adapter and then was plugged into a projector and I was just doing like a little private screening of it. And I just kind of touched my phone to see how much time was left in it. And, And it said there was like four minutes left in the movie and Brody hadn't killed the shark yet. And I was like, what's going on here? Um, is this yeah. is this movie going to cut off short? The movie has like its end credit sequence is like a minute long. Yep. Yeah, and it's cool because they're like rowing back to shore. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, that's yeah, that's the thing. Like, say it's like two hours on the nose, and like yeah, Quint dies. Spoiler for Jaws: Quint dies at like hundred and twelve minutes, and you're like, really? <laughs> that's what I said. I was like, I was like, no, no. This obviously this movie's going to cut out. 
There's, yeah. there's no way we're going to pull this off all in, in the next three minutes. Wrong. We did. Yeah. And very yeah. effectively, I might add. So, yeah. well, listen, Adam, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. I, of course, look forward to chatting with you again really, really soon. Keep up the amazing work you're doing over there at F This Movie. And please, please stay safe, okay? Thank you. You as well. And I appreciate you giving me a place to talk about these movies because it's it's a weird time where they're not really like in the conversation for very long. So it sort of like rewards me for having watched Scoob because I can talk about it with you. Absolutely. And anytime you want to come on and talk about movies here, you're always welcome. So we'll, right, ta- we'll talk soon. And my name is Dana Buckler. And thank you so much for listening.